Hello, everybody. Hello, Greg. Hi. How's it going, man? <laughs> it's going great, man. Awesome. So, what's up? Uh, nothing. None. Pennsylvania the Caps two to one after two. Hooray! Game uh, game five. They're up three games to one, so they could wrap it up here in the next twenty minutes. Okay, which reminds me that um, when you tweeted that uh, you you were missing, you missed the second uh, and third period. Yeah, you had a response. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, from a guy I work with. What did yeah. he say though? It was uh, he said you shouldn't admit that or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I was like, you sports purist, or bad hockey fan. Just saying, I'm a bad person for not watching the game. Right, which is ridiculous. <laughs> like I like. Seriously, I don't think that sort of thinking should even be normalized. I mean, because it wasn't put across like it was a joke. There wasn't like a... a, It was a joke. Well. I know people who take that, who have literally take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Who are like, you are actually a bad fan for not doing that. And it's the stupidest shit in the world. (laughs) Gotcha. It's not even the Stanley Cup semifinals or... Right. Like, it's, it's... you know, postseason's number one. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Dumb. Dumb. You hear me? Hey, it's an elimination game, and I'm still doing the show, so you should give me some credit. <laughs> no, I, yeah. it's not you. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's the idea that you're somehow a bad fan simply because you don't watch every single second of some... Well, I'm an extra bad fan right now because I'm watching an elimination... Or not watching an elimination game, but... Anyway, not a big deal. So, uh, Allie had an awesome day today. You might remember a couple months ago we talked about her doing a Maker Faire. She did another one. We learned about it last Saturday. And she had an idea that she wanted to do. And we, I let her run with her idea. Had some brainstorming sessions with her. I wanted to make sure that, you know, talk to her about how at those kinds of things it needs to be engaging. Right, you, know, you have to get the person into their, get to get into their hands and get them using it type thing. Absolutely. Uh, so it really didn't modify her initial plan all that much, but we did talk about some other ideas at the same time. Uh, it is a soft circuit, I guess, is what a lot of makers would call it. It's a plush sunflower, multicolored petals. There's eight petals on it, mm-hmm. and inside it is some circuitry, yes. and she used. A, um, it's a piece of hardware called a Makey Makey, and what it does is it allows you to activate switches with your body, like th- through the the low current conductivity of your body, right. lets you close the connections on these switches. Just like um, what's another example? Of something that works like that. Uh, damn it, touchlight. Touch. Yes. Okay. Touchlight is good. I know that's probably capacitive actually. Yeah. You only touch it with one thing. Right. So you have to be touching one in order for your, in order for the yeah. You have to be grounded. So we work it into the the stem of the flower was coated with copper tape. Basically, you're completing a circuit with the capacitance of your body. The idea was to put the ground where people would generally handle it. In practice, we put we should have put the tape in a couple places Mm -hmm. because little kids were holding it a lot closer to the flower head and things like that. You just hook wires up to it. Oh yeah, yeah. We should have put a ring of tape above the leaves, mm-hmm. above the, the stem leaves, right? It would have improved it. 
Um, so that was the con- con- and then we had it hooked up to a Raspberry Pi. We used a Raspberry Pi this time instead of our Mac, which our last project was a makey makey on our Mac, because the Raspberry Pi has GPIO and can control the LEDs that are inside the pedals. So now when you push on GPIO is general purpose input output. I see. So it, basically, software switches. Mm-hmm. They can do low current things like light LEDs or throw transistors, you know, but it can't can't really run motors or anything like that, high current. Um, so we put LEDs in the pedals. So when you pushed a pedal, it would light up. We thought that this tool, this device, would have been great for a Simon game. Have it play the sounds and light up the pedals and you have to copy it and it gets one longer every time you do it. We started trying to program it. She was completely lost. I could have finished it, but there's no point in that. It's her project. So, I mean, we just told people that we had to take a feature off the list. Mm-hmm. And um, actually doing a Simon game in Scratch it, like makes it harder than it should be. That's what I figured. I mean, last time we were talking about that, and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, so you do randomization, then you have to like keep an order of... To keep what you've done, add another random thing to it. It turns out it's hard. It's harder than I initially thought, but I think Scratch made it even harder because when you want to go add, oh, like oh, I need another variable to keep track of something. It's this fairly involved rigmarole just to add a variable, mm. and it's great for doing simple. So Scratch things. is now like arrays. It has lists, uh, and you can iterate lists. Can't you just iterate something onto the list instead of... Well, you area? can. But, I mean, when you needed another... Okay, so when it picked the note, we had to have it run the routine that played the sound, run the routine that liked the lights, and we were having... One of the bugs that we were hitting was keeping the variable, like... Well, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of a variable was getting overwritten before because the way the input works on those keyboard things, it's not like you can block the next. That, that's probably one of the biggest things with scratching and makey makey is you can't really block the next input to wait for the previous input to be done. So you have to write something that can handle multiple things coming in at once. Mm-hmm. And that's where it got complicated, keeping that mm. thread safe. I see. And uh, that's kind of like, oh, I gotta keep the scratch program thread safe, you know, keep these races from happening. And, and that's like, I can't even begin to. And she was already just barely hanging on to what I was trying to show her. So it's like, okay, we gotta scratch this feature. And we were so short on time. We finished it up this morning and we threw together kind of a PowerPoint, a Google Slide slideshow. Uh, of the photos and brief descriptions, so it was playing on the table, and we finished the slideshow, got in the car, and went. I mean, it was down to the minute, and we could have scrapped the slideshow if we were short on time. Right. We had just enough time to do everything we wanted to do. Uh, big success. So at the Maker Fair, it was open. It was generally the Seneca Valley Senior High School. Um, was it? Uh, so, so they have an acronym SWEET. So it's Society of Women Engineering something team. You know, I don't know what the other E is. Uh, maybe education. I don't know. But it's their STEM kind of women's STEM club. 
And we didn't really know what it was going to be, but we emailed the one guy, asked if Ali could participate. He remembered Ali from the last Maker Fair and said, sure thing. We get there and it's, we figured she would probably be the only elementary school kid, but it was just girls in the STEM club. So it was all senior high school kids and Allie. And I mean, it was a hit. She had kind of the most homemade program. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the other, so there was two other, another table had Makey Makey's on it, but they were kind of the stuff you see on the box. Like, like they're using the Makey Makey's and they have Play-Doh to make a really big Nintendo controller with a big up arrow and a Mm. big down arrow and a left and a right, you know? And then the other one had it hooked up to fruit, you know, the kind of things you see on the Makey Makey. This is the Sam Adams wild child with apricot. That's what that is. Interesting. Another fruited beers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Allie's was like, you know, using the Makey Makey to make something. And they were kind of like, here's what the box shows to demonstrate the Makey Make, you know. And there were was a table where they had the Ozobot and the, uh, the you know, another like kit robot you could make. You remember the Ozobot, that thing that follows the black line? Yes. The tiny little thing that charges on USB. You know, there was that. One of the other neatest things was um, kind of a buoyancy test. Who could build a boat that could hold the most pebbles? Ah. So that was one of the better tables. Max built a boat that held 132 pebbles, which is pretty good. There was people that built ones that were holding 200 and some. So the trick is to have things in there that will hold air. So you'll stay buoyant longer. Or just a lot of people. Over a, large a lot of people are trying to do pontoons. I, I Max did a big flat bottom that was uh, had some good sides to it. I showed him how to fold a piece of paper and they, they fold in the corner so there's not a low part of the corner. Mm-hmm. His biggest problem was weight distribution. Um, he started, you know, he's trying to balance it out, but one of his corners sank. Um, so I mean, that's a good design, you know, something with a V hull, right? Because then that's going to balance itself, you know. Like that's what boats have, like a hull like a boat. Mm-hmm. They're shaped like that as opposed to flat bottom because it distributes the weight out both sides more equally. So with the material on hand, I don't know if you really could have done a good V hull, but you know, I was I was kind of thinking, you yeah, know, V hull that 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 is covered and then that holds in a lot of air that will also keep you buoyant because that will. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're not in stormy weather. You don't have to worry about waves cresting the gunners. No, no, but I'm just saying that, that you're going to stay more buoyant because you have some of that air underwater that's going to keep pressure on you to stay afloat. Well, you just need to displace water. You don't have to You don't have to have a diving bell or anything like that to make this work. Uh, it's just about displacing. And then also weight distribution was the key. Like Max could have done better if he would have done better placing it. If he would have placed his pebbles, like I was telling him, that corner is low. Place them, you know, over mm-hmm. here. And uh, it, was, it was already kind of impending doom at that point but it was so funny one of the girls at that you know so like a high school junior or something probably the prettiest girl in the stem club max was hanging out with her the whole (laughs) time the whole time he's standing there leaning on the table like he's too cool for school (laughs) max is six for people who don't remember (laughs) and um and then I came over and was behind him listening to what he was talking about. He turned, I was like, Dad! And he pushed me away. <laughs> yeah, he he picked the prettiest girl and was hanging out with her all day. Nice. Way to go. Way to go, Max. Yep. 
So that was his accomplishment today. (laughs) (laughs) Schwing. I mean, so it was kind of small, but... Or, this is better. (laughs) Yes. Um... It served its purpose, mm-hmm. you know, it just, Allie had fun, it got her experience, got her more confidence with making stuff. She told you about her next project. Yeah. You know, she came up with that on her own. She wants to make something that has the mechanics of a useless machine or a useless box, you know, those things that turn themselves off. But instead of it just turning itself off, she wants it to have a hand or a grabber that comes out and grabs something. So when you try to grab it, it beats you to it and keeps it away from you is her plan. So yeah. that'll be our next. That's going to have at least we don't have an urgent deadline, right? Because, I mean, when you start doing mechanical things like that, there's going to be trial and error. And there's going to be iterations and right. versions of the grabber. And That's why my suggestion was sort of an early iteration. Which an early, you know, before you get the mechanics of a grabber right, mm-hmm. have a cage just come around the item so that people can't grab yeah. it that way. No. That way you can just test whether your stuff to, to, to intercept whether people are getting there or not is good. Yeah. Now, on the right side, we have a rapid prototyper machine right behind you. So you so. do. And you have some nice, cool, like, lighting stuff to put in there now. With um, the wire. The light wire. Actually, I have LEDs in there already. I don't know if you saw it. Go ahead and flip it on. It's really sweet. The power switch, you have to take your headphones off probably to reach it. Power switch is on the back right. I see it. Not too shabby, huh? Could use more colors. I think more could, colors? Yeah, like if you if you had some of that wire around the edge here so it has like cool color. Just I could have bought LEDs where, you know, they were multicolor, you know, changer things. I'm like, I think I just need white LEDs in there to <laughs> to light it up. But anyway, that's, that's, I'm done. I'm pretty much done modding the printer now. I'm getting great prints. I showed you this coin that I printed, the challenge coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's with the new hot end, and I am. Oh, what stoked. if we put a little bit of the blue LT wire on on the arm? So then, if you had it dark, you could then like make it into a. Uh. You could trace like things, and you could have it have oh. a cool like uh, time lapse of. But it just goes back and forth, right? It does, I mean, I understand your idea, yeah. but in reality, the thing just goes left and right. So mm. if you do like a long exposure, it's just going to be a blue bar, and then maybe around the plate. That just goes forward and backwards. <laughs> right? It's tricky. You need... Yeah. I, I, I like your inspiration. I'm sorry to shoot you down. Because the way... If you had a Delta printer... Yeah, a Delta printer is those one that kind of has a circular build plate and those three arms hang down. So the head itself moves in two directions, two dimensions. But my head only moves in one dimension. And the printed item moves in the other dimension. I see. So I, I, it, I, yeah. your idea is not going to work on the, this kind of... On a Delta printer, it would work. But mm. the thing goes back and forth the same place so many times. I don't think you're going to get anything all that awesome anyway. Oh, well. But keep up the ideas. Hey, that that's engineering. You have a <laughs> thousand shitty ideas before you get the one amazing one, right? I wouldn't say it's a shitty idea. No, I'm just kidding. Well... <laughs> It's kind of shitty. <laughs> Teasing. <laughs> that apricot's getting really strong. Yeah. It's like drinking apricot juice. This is one of the long shots. This is the uh, wild child. <clears throat> Lots of beer news this week. I'll save that for the main show, though. Yeah. 
So um, here's an interesting question that was asked by somebody on Ask Science. I don't have the answer to but I'd read the answer. I thought it was interesting. Uh, do humans emit x-rays from black body radiation? <laughs> so one of the people sort of explained how it would be possible, which is um, through uh, an uh, so something called an anti-Stokes shift. Um, a Stokes shift is when um, there's a lot of... You, Put a put some energy into uh, an atom, and a photon of less energy comes out because some some of that energy turned into vibrational energy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's a Stokes shift. So an anti-Stokes shift would be energy comes into an atom and something of higher energy comes out, probably because they're in like an ordered configuration of crystalline things that that ha- happens to magnify the information the stuff. So. Relatively simple, actually, concept, an anti-Stokes shift, right? Mm-hmm. But this would be, you'd have to have things come into the right configuration in your body and the right crystalline configuration at the right time to generate this. Then somebody did the math. <laughs> How improbable is it? Yeah, so take the range of frequencies from 10 uh, to the 10 hertz to 1.1 times 10, 10 to the 18 hertz to 1.1 times 10 to the 18 hertz, uh, and he gets 3 times 10 to the negative 67,199 photons per square meter per second. 3 times 10 to the negative 67,199. This doesn't happen very often. Uh, to contrast, the age of the universe is merely 10 to the 17 seconds, so he can say with absolute certainty that no living organism has ever emitted or will ever emit an X-ray photon. <laughs> I mean, that's... So the thing that's interesting about that is more of, you know, when you have a certain understanding, like, oh, it's, there's a probability that it can't happen. Mm-hmm. But where, so, and then a lot of people can, can get that grasp. Uh, cryptography, right. same thing, right? There's a probability that someone can guess your encrypted password. Mm-hmm. What we don't grasp is the probability, the, the actual odds. Right. How vast the odds are. And this is the same thing. This number is so vast where before you read me the number, I'm like, I get it. Like, cause like boiling water has a range of different energies yep. in it, right? Boiling water has molecules that are as cold as ice in it. Mm-hmm. And it has molecules that are much hotter than 212. Yes. So you could use that to kind of, for me, that's a, kind of, that was where my ba- base point exactly, was. Yeah. My analogy was, okay, my body Sure, could have energies to emit an X-ray. Very improbable. Very rarely, but very rarely improbable. Not very many particles in there that could potentially gain that energy, but seems plausible. And it, I guess, it is plausible. It's just the odds are so, so extraordinarily unlikely yeah. that uh, the idea that it could have happened is absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's another thing, right? It's like, okay, so the odds are almost zero that it'll never happen to any human alive right now. That's that's easy enough to grasp. The saying that it's never happened to any living organism ever, but could happen. That's that's harder to get your head around, right? right? Well, he was saying not only that it, it's never happened to any living organism ever, but th- there was an expansion of that, mm-hmm. which was. Uh, uh, okay, so Wolfram Alpha says there are three times 10 to 23 stars in the universe. 
Multiply that by the guesstimated surface area of living beings on Earth gets you 6 times 10 to the 39 meters squared. Multiply the number of seconds in 10 to the 100 years gets you 1.892 times 10 to the 147 meters squared. Multiply by the rate of x-rays gets you 5 times 6 5.676 times 10 to the negative 670 x-rays. So that means that if there were everywhere planets in the entire universe, <laughs> Earth-sized planets in every star in the entire universe, then it still is unlikely never, to still never ever happen. happen. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. But yeah, that's where intuition breaks down with uh, just intuiting huge probabilities. Just, just huge numbers. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's that's the thing about numbers is is um, there's, there's a YouTube planet number files. You talked about how you know numbers are. You know, math isn't really about numbers so much, and numbers are rather, frankly, in some level, numbers are kind of uninteresting because they because they really either they represent a very small subset of possible options or they become impossible to comprehend. Basically, mm-hmm. numbers themselves, as as we use them, and the the way that we use them, numbers, as, as, which is a structured way of understanding the concept of quantities, mm-hmm. um, are just the only useful range is a very very tiny range. Beyond that, it becomes an uninteresting and unimportant concept, because the difference between ten to the negative seven thousand zero five two and ten to the uh, negative twenty eight six two eight is i mean it, it's immense but at the same time it's effectively it, it doesn't matter what you're counting in no i, I hear <laughs> you you know we talked about the ultra big numbers before yeah the things you can't even express with exponential notation because the exponent would be a number so big you can't say or mm-hmm. or write down so there's arrow notation and things like that. And you just, yeah, you know, I'm still, for some, for some reason, some part of me is still fascinated about kind of the people, you know, they're coming up with ways to describe these numbers that, like the, the practicality besides just number research. Right. I mean, maybe there's something, but it you're not using it to count anything in the universe, you know, because exponential notation easily handles every atom in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, easily. So where do you need arrow notation if every or every is it every combination? Like if you took every atom and lined it up front to back, and then did every combination of every atom. I'm not sure if. Exponential notation can handle that number or not. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. 10 to the 120 possible atoms in every possible configuration of the 10 to 120 possible atoms or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's 10 to 120 factorial. Yeah. That's... How big is that? How big is that exponent? Is it a number you can say or do you have to represent it a different way? Right. Well, you can represent it as just 10 to the 120 factorial. There you go. Yeah, but that's a different notation right there. Right. It's a shorthand notation, but here's here's another one that I had. Uh, that the funny thing is that um, the question itself is a very hard question that philosophers and scientists have 
been asking themselves for over 100 years, and no one was really come up with a good answer. But I still tried to come up with the answer anyway, and I couldn't come up with the answer. But um, uh, a short... You're such a failure. <laughs> looking for a short, non-physics sentence explanation of inertial and gravitational mass and the correspondence for someone who has never heard of it. The idea here being that the force <coughs> F equals MA is the same as the force of gravity. G, G1, G, or sorry, G, M1, M2 over R squared. Mm-hmm. Those forces are the same. That's the correspondence principle. That's, you know, Einstein used that to build relativity. Yes, so tied it up. Bastards. In, so inertia is the same force as gravity. Is there a way that you can reflect that in right in uh, in regular sentences without math or anything like that? And uh, I kept thinking about possible ways. And God damn it, if I can't, you know, I, I am just as lost as much smarter physicists and philosophers who've tried this in the past. Seems like it should be doable, right? Yeah, because it seems like okay. Well, you so. Inertia is how hard it is to move something. Gravitational mass is how it bends space to... It bends space-time. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can make an analogy with that. But then you're like, okay, well, so having, having to move something, to push something, we're space-bending. But no, but then you're like, no, that doesn't really follow. There's nothing you can... There's no good way to, to put those two things together. And I thought about it, but I can't think of one. Yeah. I, <laughs> if you can't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> well, no. That, well, that's the thing is the reason why I thought about it was not just because, not necessarily because I thought I could do it, but because you never know, right? And you never know if you might run into right. some idea, and it doesn't even have to be somebody who's even particularly smart. Like it could be somebody like me who comes up with the way to do it. So you know, I put my brain behind it, and I. I have the advantage or maybe disadvantage of knowing enough about why those things are that every time I start to think that I may have something, I like, well, no, because that, that doesn't really work. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about, okay, that, that, doing the math with what I'm saying, and mm-hmm. it doesn't actually work out that way. Oh, I had the world's best pizza today. So... I don't know if you remember Caliente last year at the National Pizza Championship in Vegas. They won for best non-traditional pizza. It's a duck, truffle oil, mushrooms, spinach, cherry tomatoes. So, and it's one of the things they like only had on their menu for very special occasions Mm -hmm. until recently. So I went to Caliente today, and they had Quack Attack on the menu. It's really good pizza. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty damn good. The uh, the truffle oil sticks with you too. I'm still burping up truffle. Yeah, that's oil. the thing is about truffle oil is it's a little overpowering. It's not. Really yeah, if anything, it was a, you got to like truffle oil to uh, like this pizza and duck. But it, was, it was pretty good. <clears throat> hmm. 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 Um. Okay, so. Here's another science thing, because it doesn't seem to be anything else to talk about right now. Maybe we can talk about the fucking healthcare debacle, but... 
No, it's not. I don't have anything anything to say on that. Um, so another thing that was going on. I, mean, I like these ass science writers because sometimes not only do I mean I, I know the answer, but to, to to a lot of them, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily have a good way to answer the question. So I like looking at how other people explain it. Okay. Um, so somebody was asking about uh, if time is dependent on speed, what's the reference point? And of course, the answer is well, there isn't one, but. This person was making the point that um, it's not necessarily that uh, the people's clocks different click differently, although that's what we experience. But really, it's the idea that from your from perspective A, they're going in some direction in time, and from the perspective B, from perspective A, person B is slightly rotated in time. Their time direction isn't going straight. Their time direction is going a little bit rotated. And that's where the whole thing comes from of uh, in the uh, relativity, is this rotation in time as opposed to simply hmm. everyone's moving along at the same time. Interesting. Almost like I. Exactly like I, as a matter of fact. <laughs> cool. Are you proud of me? I am. <laughs> Good. I'm seeking your approval. Uh, hmm. Beers? Yeah, let's do beers. beers. See you on the other side. See ya. <laughs>